0: You were ransomed with blood. You are born again to a living hope, which is the knowledge that he is risen. risen It is your trust that though Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. It is the fact that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are blood bought. So as we look at this text from Isaiah chapter 1, that's all about God saying to his church, you're not paying attention. You're focused on the wrong stuff. I'm done with you. You don't walk out of here thinking he means you today. He wants you to get a little nervous when you read this as a Christian. He wants you to say, is it me, Lord? Lord? All the apostles did in the upper room when he said, one of you will betray me, but only one of them did in fact betray him, and that's not you. You are born again to a living hope. You know who Jesus is. You're not out there trying to destroy his kingdom. You merely have inherited from Adam a corruptible flesh, and it clings to you tightly, and will do so till the day that you die. All the more reason to rejoice in the comfort of knowing. That God's greatness and his glory and his power is chiefly shown in mercy. And that by grace, you have been saved. For the sake of you trusting God again, he established that free gift to you. And that free gift is now your trust in him. That is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you making you a tabernacle of the kingdom, a tent in which God dwells. And indeed, as you are now a temporary building, slowly falling apart in these gray and latter days, so you look forward to this inheritance incorruptible, imperishable, which is the body of Jesus Christ, sitting at the right hand of God, who is going to become one with your body. Does so by sacramental mystery now on the last day. Again, your body will experience this as the final seat of God's love in you for all eternity. So, Don't forget that as we talk about giving and commitment and how you can do it all right and still get it so very, very wrong. That's what Isaiah is going to be pointing out to us in chapter 1 starting at verse 12 and following. This is on page 566 of your Pew Bible. And a few moments ago, you also heard it from Jesus' own mouth in the book of Luke. I know I said I wouldn't say much about that, but I I am going to touch on it again here because it's the same concern. The Pharisees are doing great. They're tithing. They're reading their Bible. They're committed to everything they're supposed to be committed to. And then God shows up, and they're like, "We hate you!" Like He actually shows up in the body. Like we got to kill that guy. So somehow, some way, it is possible to make all the external things look right and do it all just for the sake of your greedy ambition. Uh, you you see this? I mean, I don't know how many of you listen to Christian radio or spend any time in in the Christian community outside of Lutheranism, but. There's this really strong trend. It's pretty simple. You kind of spin it out to you. If you just give a little bit, God will give you a lot more. That's it. That's the sales pitch. Yeah. Come to church. Commit your heart to Jesus. Start giving money. And you'll get checks in the mail. Huh? You'll have stuff falling out of heaven. It's not just a promise for money. They promise you health. They promise you overcoming victorious experiences and in, in everything you set your hand to. They seem to forget that, as Peter said a moment ago, you might be grieved by various trials to test your faith. But the testing of your faith is what God really wants. Not as though you're going to fail. You've been born again. He's not putting you through a test to find out if you have faith. Since you have faith, he's going to burn away everything else. He's going to make it so you can't trust in your silver and your gold. Which was the problem, again, in the church that Isaiah is speaking to. They're trusting in what they're doing. Now, we're going to come back and look at Isaiah chapter 1 after our Set Apart series. We're going to spend November, December, and a little bit of January going through Isaiah's chapter 1 through uh, through 12. It's the, the first book of Isaiah, if you want to think of it that way, Isaiah is a large book with a lot of stuff in it. So we're going to come back. And we're going to talk about the context more. We're going to get into the history. Uh, kind of remember some of our our kings that were around during the time of the collapse of the Northern Kingdom and what other uh, people, uh, individuals were being connected to this. Uh, we're going to leave that beside today, though. Just kind of take the text as it is, but then understand that the text as it is 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 sort of a final warning before God destroys the northern kingdom, and then also it's being read later in the southern kingdom, and so it connects to that as well. Isaiah foretells the fall of both kingdoms, north and south. He, re- he also foretells the restoration, and so we get at the end of Isaiah beautiful language about the new creation, which is for him the restoration of the temple uh, under Ezra and Nehemiah, all foreshadowing Jesus' death and resurrection. We'll, we'll get again into that more, but so just understand though that this is the end of the old Old Testament, historically speaking. Right, um, this is the end of the kingdoms. I shouldn't say it that way. It's the end of the kingdoms, um, and so he is coming in and he's saying to these kingdoms, "Look, you you think you've got it good, but you don't. And worse, it's worse." It's not just you think you've got a good and you don't. It's the things you think are good are the problem. Everything's upside down. He'll say it later. You call evil good. You call good evil. And I I think that's easy for us to see in American society today when someone will say it's good if you have a six-year-old boy who wants to have his body cut apart. It's good to do that. I, th- I think we can see they're calling they're calling evil good well, that's easy. It's a little harder when it's like yeah your prayers are sin. That's a little harder for Christians to swallow what what my prayers are how can my prayers be sin? Well you're praying to the wrong God that's how or you think your prayers are why God's going to answer. But because you've done this or that, because you maybe have said so many words, he'll be compelled to answer. you ever seen this on Facebook? My my friend is sick. I need more people to pray for him so he gets better. Everybody on Facebook, pray. There's this idea that if we just get more on the prayer like level, then God will be compelled to answer. Elijah was one man. And he prayed that God would send a drought and for three years it didn't rain. He didn't need a lot of people to join him. there's probably a lot of people saying, end the drought, I would imagine. And God listened to Elijah. Why? Because he had faith in God as his God, He, of course, was sent as a prophet, but he knew God heard him. Huh? He also prayed. Do you remember this? He prayed that his life might end. He was, he was tired. He was done. And what did God do? He sent a chariot of fire to pick him up. Right? He had to do a couple little tasks before that, but, but more or less, right? the point here is not you be elijah or you could be elijah the the point is uh, one righteous man's prayer and you're righteous because you're born again the blood bought you one righteous man's prayer is heard by god and answered so don't think that by piling up your your prayers you're going to achieve something more than what god has already promised and it, it, it it's worse really he's even Con, uh, condemning the church and the gathering for worship that's what we'll start at verse 12 here um, he says when you come to appear before me who has required of you this trampling of my courts oh, no. oh. <laughs> if i were to get up here and like say to y'all why are you here go home like, that's what he's doing yeah. why are you here get, get, what are you doing Go home. It's not very. Uh, can I say this? it's not very mission minded? How are you going to get all the visitors to stick around if every time they visit you say, "What are you doing here?" Who told you to repent? Huh? You remember though, someone else talked that way. You remember this, John the Baptist. your brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Huh? Hey, John got it somewhere, probably from Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah got it because he's he's watching Judah and Israel. Treat God like an idol. They treat the assembly around the holy things like a social club, like a special gathering just for us. Rather than come in and beat their breast at the back like the tax collector in Jesus' parable, they walk in and they assume they have a place to be. And so Jesus again says to them, Who, "Who's asked you to do that?" Now, look. I'm your pastor. I want you in church every week. Please. Right, take, take none of this as pastor said, don't come to church, it makes Jesus angry. Don't don't take it as that, yeah. But it just see that having a full set of pews in your congregation doesn't make Jesus happy. And might actually really upset him because if it's all a bunch of people there just self seeking, then it's all a big facade. It's a lie, it's a hypocrisy. So as we talk about our commitment, whether you're going to do the Daughters of Wisdom or the Sons of Solomon or read a little more of this or read one of the books in the back or come to church more often, don't look at any of that as if God said, if you do that, I'll be happy with you. Do those things because they're good things on their own, not because you're going to get something from them. When you come to appear before him, come as one who needs not as one who is here to to do, yeah? And so he says, verse 13, bring no more vain offerings. And This is here, especially this year, because look, we're gonna ask you to give more money this year. I've said this enough times. I'm already sick of saying it. We're gonna ask you to take a step up in giving. Give 1% more than you did last year and put that in your budget, make it work out. We're gonna ask you to do that. But I want you to see how God actually doesn't care. The only reason to really do that right now is there's two. There's two. One is for your neighbors. There are some people here who can't do that. And so since you can, if you can, that's how we keep the lights on. Right. So that's one. Two, it's actually just to test yourself. Right? It's it's more to show yourself how you ha- you can. It's to see that you're not in need the way you think you are. And what you think you need so much of, you don't. And if you would just take that small step, you'd find out that, in fact, God's got plenty to give you. You got enough, as it is. But again, like if in some way, over the course of the next three weeks, you get the idea that if I don't give more in my tithe and my offering, then pastor's not going to love me, and Jesus will be mad at me, and I don't belong in St. Paul Lutheran Church, stop it. Give no vain offerings. Don't give a single one. What I want, what he wants, is your heart in the pew, hungry for the blood. Hungry for the blood. Hungry to hear again how you're not your own because he bought you. And how that, that dark path he walked with the cross on his shoulders, he had you in his mind. Bring that to church, that hunger, not, not the money. Uh, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. Incense in the Old Testament is a symbol of the prayers. Now, we, we haven't used incense here. Um, some Lutheran churches do. If you go to higher things, they'll always do it at one of the services. I, it can cause allergic reactions for some people. So we probably won't be bringing it bringing it to St. Paul anytime soon. But it's a beautiful thing if you ever get to see it. Smells nice. Like you walk in the building, you're going to notice right away, oh, they burned incense in here. And don't think that stuff you get at the mall, by the way, you know, that, that ain't really incense. I mean, it is, but, but when you burn frankincense, it's a whole different kind of thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's a cloud of glory. It really is. You feel it viscerally. And then if you watch it, whether you have it in a, in a sensor, which is like a little thing that swings, or you can put it in a kind of little tray on the altar. You've got to Burn a little brisket. You put the incense on. It it plumes up in this kind of amazing smoke cloud. It, it wafts up and away. Uh, and the smoke is it's not like a smoke from from a fire pit. Um, it's I, I don't know how to describe it. It's not as as thick as that, and yet it is. And then it, and then it spreads. And it's got this beautiful beautiful kind of rising image. Okay, and the idea is that your prayers do that. Right, when you need something. And you say, Jesus, please, plume of incense, a pleasing aroma in God's sight, okay? That's why the incense is in the temple. That's why Christians, especially in the East, still use incense today. It is a picture of what our prayers are doing. But now, amazingly, God who commanded the incense at Mount Sinai says, I hate that stuff. Get rid of it. Why? Well, I mean, I don't know the... Like, hates frankincense. He got it at his birth, seemed fine later, right? The, the point is the hypocrisy. The point is thinking, well, if I do it just this way, you know, I, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind for me, but um, maybe the, the most kind of home-hitting one is like like, what if we didn't have an organ? Would we still be church? I think there's some people who would say, well, yeah, we would be, uh, but we really need to keep the organ." I, I don't disagree. We're not going to get rid of the organ, okay? So don't freak out. But, but like, I want you to see how, like, no, no, that could be an abomination to Jesus if you look at it a certain way. Now, where do you see this more these days? It's where they say to you, look, if you don't have a, a rock and roll band, your church are going to die. Guess what that makes the rock and roll band in that church that changed for that reason? Makes it an abomination. Uh, Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod has some soul searching to do on this matter. Uh, we'll leave that for another time. Uh, what I want you to see again is like what we do here reflects what he has done. And if there's anything other than that, and it becomes about what we think needs to be, he begins to despise it. And will, in fact, tear it down so that he can save you from it. Even when he pours out his wrath to get rid of your idols, the vast goal of that is to save you from the idols. When Dagon falls down in front of the Ark of the Covenant, the point is to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Judah. And if I might be so bold, I mean, St. Paul, you know, we, we've grown in different ways the last few years. There's not I'm trying to guess right now as I look at you, maybe half of you, maybe 35% of you were here long enough to remember the school. Let me suggest to you, for the sake of those who are watching online, the reason Lutheran schools are closing in the United States the last 30 years, left and right, the reason they're so hard to keep open is because we think we need them. Thought they were bad. They're fine. Until you think you have to have them. Now they're not so fine. Now God's against you. Uh, Instance is an abomination. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. That's all about the worship life of ancient Israel. It was kind of cool. They had a new moon festival every month. Big celebration. Lots of meat. Uh, hang out. Have a good time. It, it wasn't bad. Except for they started to think that it was supposed to be what they did in such a way so they could see themselves as righteous. So, so here's another one for you. What happens if we don't have Christmas trees? I know, deep breath, right? What do you do? Huh? Now, what happens uh, if we have to, do you see the point? I don't want to come up with a million examples. The only problem with the Christmas tree is if you think you have to have one. And then it is, it's an idol. I think just as likely, and you can find people out there, you can't have a Christmas tree. You're not a Christian if you do. If you read Jeremiah, blah, blah, blah. Same problem. You're thinking it's about what you do. Now, God wants you to do certain things. He does. He'll talk about it. You know what he wants you to do? Justice. Love. That's what he wants you to do. Not a bunch of tit-for-tat little rules about how you do this with the smoke. Huh? What he wants is for you to see who he is, a God of Mercy. Know that he's merciful toward you and then perhaps have mercy toward others. Right. And for that reason, he says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Rest of verse 13 there. Now, this is this is kind of a, a, a touchy point in the translation. Different translations have this differently. Um, some will say, I cannot endure the iniquity of your solemn assemblies. The point is that the sin is in the worship and the sin is in the worship by means of the people being vain in the worship jesus says it another way quoting actually I really say isaiah says it another way jesus quotes him in vain do they worship me um their their hearts are far from me while their mouths say they're with me right. i love jesus i love his mercy and you go out and you you hate your neighbor. You lose your temper and don't even think twice about it. You just trash everybody and you'll never repent. The last thing you'll ever do is say, I forgive you to somebody. Uh, Your heart is far from him. Uh, And so he cannot endure the church that's about becoming righteous because that's not his church. His church is about how he is righteous and we are not and how he's going to give us that righteousness. Don't get me wrong. Christianity will, shall, never cease to change your life. It will and does, continually, daily even. But even the most righteous man, having his life turned around so that he sees who God really is, the last thing you're gonna do is like, well, I'm righteous now. Look at me, look what I did. See how I give so much. See how I just, no, no, no. It's You're gonna be on butt-filthy rags, right? The more outwardly righteous you become as a Christian, the more inwardly you're gonna see what a fight it was to get there. And you're gonna know that that fight is never won because you were good. So grace be to God, he in fact is the one giving you those good works. That's Ephesians 2, two ten, by the way, right? Everyone loves Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I like them too. By grace, you have been saved. Through faith, it's not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. For we are God's workmanship, that's 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So whatever you do, Afterwards, all you can do is say, well, Jesus gave it to me. My sin too? No, no, no. You get credit for that. And your repentance? He gets credit. Your love of your neighbor? He gets credit. Your wealth? He gets credit. Your poverty? He gets credit. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. He cannot stand the church that thinks it's about the people. The church must be about him. Because he's God. (laughs) <laughs> he's God. So then verse 14, your your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Now let me push that back to him mentioning the Sabbath in verse 13 with that. Um, you know, Sabbath is one of the commandments. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We number that number three. Some churches number that number four, I believe. Um, we number it number three. Uh, and We understand, we believe, our catechism teaches, that remembering the Sabbath day by keeping it holy means to hear the word of God regularly. To hear the word of God regularly. And our our catechism even teaches that means every day. So our third commandment isn't worship once a week. It's hear the word of God every day. Once a week, in keeping with the ancient tradition of the early church, On the day that our Lord rose from the dead, he is risen. We get together to hear the word of God together. Although you don't have to stop there. In fact, we get together on Wednesdays, some of us, for the the same purpose. There are those out there who tell you you aren't Christians if you don't gather on Saturday afternoons for church. Because that's the Sabbath. That's the third commandment. You better do it. You're not really a Christian. There are those out there who will tell you that to worship on Sunday morning is the mark of the beast. Did you know that? Yeah, you worship the Antichrist, but coming to church on Sunday morning, that's officially the teaching of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, but they're not the only ones out there who Judaize in this way. Who think that Jesus came to make us follow a bunch of rules. And if you don't do it just right, he doesn't love you. And so especially you got to get in order, the new moons and the convocations and the special the special worship services. The same groups will tell you, can't worship at Christmas. Don't do Christmas. Got to keep Passover. Uh, uh, to them, I guess we have Galatians. You know, you who keep the law but stumble up at but one point, you are guilty of breaking all of it. You have been cut off from Christ. We just did Galatians a little while ago. So I want you to see it's right here in Isaiah too, though. I mean, he hates this Sabbath. If you keep the Sabbath because you think that keeping the Sabbath makes Jesus happy, he hates the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not, a man was not made for the Sabbath, right? You weren't made to keep the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for you. The day of rest and the chance to hear the word of God is, is for you, not the other way around, right? And so for God, who's trying to get you just to see that, the fact that the Sabbath has been lifted up in this time that we're looking at as such an idol, it's a burden to him. I have be, it, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. Again, Like I'm so sick of you guys coming to church. I can't stand it. <laughs> That's what he says. But, but see that when they're coming to church, they're not coming to church. They're coming to idolatry. They're coming to self-service. They're coming to gain for themselves. Yeah. Verse 15, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. So what's God do to the false church? Does he knock it down right away? Nope, he just goes silent. Uh, Luther Luther says this at one point. I mean, not everything Luther says is true and we don't need to believe everything Luther says, but he does say some good things from time to time. And and I would hope you know that. Um, He says that when God really wants to punish you, he just stops talking. That's the real punishment. You know, when when he's tearing down all the things you try to build for yourself and and making you suffer, that's him still loving you. He's like he's like trying to wake you up. Like come on, you're not in charge. You can't handle this. You you don't need this. The moment that he says hands off, you go do what you want. Here's all the money you can play with. You know, that that's when he's he's left you. All right. So then again here you know he, he says that there will come a time. For some, that they're going to call out, they put out their hands and pray, Jesus, help me. He's going to be like, nope, nope, not at all. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. So the issue isn't that they're saying, Jesus, help me, and that's bad. It's that they're saying, Jesus, help me, but I'm going to do whatever I want. Jesus, help me, but whatever you said, you know, I'm going to judge it. I'm the judge of you, Jesus. So you said this, I'm not so sure about that. You said this. Well, you know, I kind of like that, but by and large, I reserve the right to be the one who just decides what truth is. But nonetheless, God, I love God. God help me, love God. Right? Well, God's God's not listening to that person. And again, the the great the great punishment is that he stops talking. I, I don't want to actually condemn any of the people I'm about to talk about. I don't know a single one of them by name. But my wife and I and my family had a had a quite an event this week. Somebody was very kind and gave us air airfare to san diego and back we only got to be there for about a day but i'm from san diego it's my home i thought i'd never get back i mean who's going to go to i'm not going to go to california on purpose generally i mean it's just it's kind of a problem right now it's expensive anyway we were blessed to go there and i got to take my family to the beach i used to go surf at uh back in high, late high school and early college uh, Law Street. If you've been out there, Pacific Beach, Law Street is an absolute beautiful place. You come around through these amazing houses, uh, down onto this little cove, and there's this grass, and you can walk down the beach. And you can. The boardwalk goes for miles. It's just really something. So, uh, yesterday we had to catch the plane to come back, and uh, we didn't really have time to go to the beach. And it was Saturday, so it was just swamped down there. But we were able to go down and uh, I dropped the family off, and I had to drive around so they could have a few more moments looking at the beach, take some pictures. And I saw something I I didn't know was there. I'd never been there when I was when I was young. Um, and there was on this grassy overlook that probably is as big as our building, I would say, from from one end to the other, is this big grassy overlook. Um, there had to be, I'd say, 200, 250 people. And they were they were all I'm gonna go ahead and show you. They can't see it on YouTube, and it's kind of goofy, but they were all doing this. Right? All of them just spread out along, along the, the coastline there. And, and you know, for those on online, they're doing yoga. And you know, raising their hands in the air and all this stuff. And it, nothing wrong with stretching. I'm okay with stretching. It's good for you. Breathing, good for you also. Yeah, but you couldn't help as you watch them all do this like a dance toward the ocean in nature. You couldn't help but think, that looks like worship to me. Golly, it sure does. Yeah? So why do I bring this up? To recognize that committing yourself to a work that you do for a spirit doesn't mean you're actually talking to God. You might just be abandoned by God to having everything that you want. Because I'll tell you, it was beautiful. I loved to have done yoga right there with the waves and the salt air and the cool breeze and this it was beautiful everything they could possibly want and they're in this incredibly wealthy place I and mean, most of those people did they walk there I don't know how they could not all park there is no way huh so they had everything they could possibly want their god is working or is he is their god just silent and letting them go their own way yeah so Continuing on, your hands are full of blood again. What God wants is for us to see our sin and repent of it. And begin as broken people healed by grace to try to hold back the hand from more blood. And of course, you're not out there like making people bleed. But you got to know that the way the American empire of economics works is by taking more profit from the foreign nations we help than than we give to them in trade. You got to know that those people who are out on our streets here in Rockford, uh, they are victims. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not saying they haven't made bad decisions. I'm not saying they don't even, they, for all I know, they deserve to be on the street. I don't know. But I know that if I want to hold back my hand from blood, I can't turn my eyes away from their need. So it's hard for me to say, Jesus, help me, and then see someone who's saying, help me, and I won't. Uh, That's where the idea of giving alms is a biblical notion. Uh, It's kind of an old way of saying it, but I like it. I like giving alms. Uh, What do I mean by giving alms? It means you see someone who has less than you, and you help them. It's It's just like part of who you are. And you want to be that person. Now we all know that if you give actual dollars to the people in the streets in Rockford, it can be alcohol or, or uh, um, oh, what's the one that's killing everybody right now? Fentanyl. Fentanyl. Thank you, or heroin, or coke, or who knows what. So we know that. So, so I'm not saying give them money. In fact, that's why we put together these these little packets to take with you, because giving them some food is is a way of giving alms without giving them something to go and abuse, and. I, have I shared the story? I mean, there's, there's a member here uh, who, who last year or the year before gave one of these packets to somebody. So you drive along in Rockford. You see the sign. The government says you can't help them. Only the government gets to help them. And you're, well, they're still standing here starving. What am I supposed to do? So you hand them a little packet with some, some sardines and some beef sticks and a couple pairs of socks. And, and the person threw it back in the car. Which means one of us had gotten to that person before. And I think, I think it means they don't like sardines. That is, is what, what I really think it means. Um, but, you know, and, and just for the, the joke of it, beggars apparently can be choosers in Rockford. Um, yeah, but I don't care. Like, to me, that's all the more reason to give that person another one. Because giving alms isn't about it working. It's about being like God who gives to you. And so to practice that, to have that as something we can do, uh, well, again, your hands are full of blood. Let's let's just try to not have more blood on them. Yeah? Verse 16, here's what the good news starts in, right? Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to do it. Yeah? We're going to get to it. Here. Let us reason together. The blood is in Jesus. But then, so here the imperative. Be washed in Jesus. Stand set apart. Be holy for he is holy. Be different than the world. And that is by knowing he is risen. Hallelujah. He lives and reigns to all eternity. He is king of kings and lord of lords. His body is real. He is a historical person that's not dead. So wash yourself again. Be here and know why you're here. Know what makes you worthy to be here. What does, by the way? You pass it every week as you walk in. You notice that font sitting there? There's no water in it right now, but there was water in it or the one you were baptized at the day you were baptized. Wash yourself. You know. Remember that you are baptized into Jesus Christ and be clean. Remove the evil from your deeds from before my eyes. So again, don't be hypocrites together at church, would you please? Yeah. Don't pretend that the church needs you. Don't pretend that God needs us. He can raise up from stones children after Abraham if he needs to, but he has raised you up. So just own that. yeah, Own that. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, right? So here again, it's not about tit for tat. It's not about how many times you should bow before you come up to the Lord's Supper, although it's great to bow, right? But but it's not about how you bow, It's not about what I wear. It's not about the style of the music that we listen to. It's not about how much you give. Uh, uh, It's about understanding what justice really is, which for Jesus means a heart of mercy. Uh, A heart of mercy. Correct oppression where you see it. Speak up for those who are weak and have no one. You want to talk about politics? Let's talk about politics. Correct oppression. Call your senator. Call your congressman. Tell them what they're doing is evil. Be a bug in their ear, write them letters. You should. It's quite awful right now what they're doing, the lies that they tell, the way that they spin it. And so indeed, where you see the weak being taken advantage of by the strong, you be stronger still. Put your foot in the middle of it. That's your call. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, verse 18. Let us reason together says the Lord. And uh, I, I love this. Um, uh, the The Hebrew there can mean dispute or argue, but, but the point is, God's like, all right, so I've told you the problem, right? So how about we have a little sit down, me, God, and, and you, you, and, and let me tell you how it's going to be. What do you think? Can we do that? Are you ready yet? Yeah. You remember how this works out for Job, right? Job's like, all I want is for God to tell me why. I'm okay with it. He can do whatever he wants. Just tell me why. God's like, okay, fine. We'll sit down. tell you why. What do you think, Job? Job's like, I shouldn't have talked. <laughs> I should. i just keep my mouth shut from now on. Yeah. Uh, so come now, let us reason together. God's like, sit down at the table. Let me tell you how it's going to be. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. So after all of that, I hate your church, I hate you coming to church, you pray too much, you sing all this music, stop it, sit down, I'm going to forgive you. Get that through your head. I'm going to forgive you. Though your sins are red like crimson, they shall become like wool, wool being again white. And the idea of crimson and scarlet being a, a, A stain. No blood gets on something. It doesn't come off very easily. Yeah. And so to take something that is so stained so that nothing can get it off. That is what sin is. Sin is not just like a stain on the outside. It's a corruption of the entire person, the entire humanity. But that stain is going to be washed, has been washed, wiped, made clean by Jesus and what he has done. And verse 19, it says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. I, I don't like the word obedient. It's fine. It's a fine word. We should all obey Jesus. It's true. But it has this, this feeling of like, I just gave you grace. So now you better do it. Huh? The word that is translated as obedient here, uh, as well as the one in the Greek, they both have as their root to hear, to hear. you know this, if you've had kids, they disobey, and what do you say to them? You weren't listening to me. You know it's not really about what they do. You're not really mad that they did the thing. You're mad that you told them not to, and then they did it. And so you weren't heard. So his point here is not, you know, you better do it. It's hear what I said. If you will hear me, you shall eat the good of the land. And I, I do think that that we should hear this in the way that it was spoken to ancient Israel, which is that God is more than happy to send rain and sunshine to make the crops grow. He's more than happy to send you work and a healthy economy so you can live your life. But he's not going to do it if you're going to go to hell because of it. And so when you start worshiping that stuff, he's going to tear it down. But when you hear him, when you follow him, when he is your God, well, he'll feed you. He'll clothe you. It's all going to work out fine. Yeah. And of course, we got to hear this as being not really about now, but about then. So hearing him calling you out of darkness into his light, you come to this table and he says, take eat, this is my body. He feeds you with the good of the land, his body being the firstborn of the new creation, which is a whole cosmos. Now, did you see what I just did there? I just told you that the sacrament, the Lord's Supper is the land. It's the new land. It's the new creation from which all futures will be made. You get to eat that now. So it's not just your body that's going to burst forth. Your body's going to burst forth from the grave as part of this new land, this final Jerusalem. Yeah. If you will hear it. If you will hear it. If you refuse and rebel, and this is a warning that Israel didn't hear. Yeah, You shall be eaten by the sword. And they were for the mouth of Jesus has spoken. Uh, You can hear that verse 20, eaten by the sword, as if if you're not going to believe in Jesus, if you're not going to trust what he says, there's only one remaining reality, and that's the God who is the devil and what he brings, which is destruction. Now, I don't think St. Paul Lutheran Church, that, that you as a congregation are set up to go to hell right now, I don't think that we're entirely filled with hypocritical worship in which we put a trust in all of our own works and how we do it. That's not why I picked this text for this week. I picked this text because we're going to ask you to step toward tithing. And I want to make it super clear, don't. Don't, unless you want to. And if you want to, do. Do because of who he is what he's done, what he's promised us, what he's making us, what we can be and do, not for him, but for our neighbors, as his people here. Which more than giving alms to the poor, which I want us to do, more than that, we can pray for this entire area of the world. If all of us, men and women, adopt those prayer disciplines, sons of Solomon, daughters of wisdom, if we all were to do it, Right, so let's just. I'm going to talk in terms of the men, but ladies, just read yourself into the men, okay? So, if all of our men pray the same nine Psalms for a whole year together, what do you think that'll do to us? Is it going to hurt us? Are we end up worse, less pious than we were before? I mean, I guess it's possible, huh? But what I think will happen is it'll bind us together. They'll strengthen our hearts. And because those prayers are for this place, they're not just for you, they're for us. That means that that glorious light that's being poured out on us is gonna spread out to those around. That means that we're going to be the people whom God sends blessings to others through. And the greatest blessing of all is to know who Jesus is so that when somebody says, why are you different? And you can say he has risen.